verse 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm. There is nothing too hard for thee. Verse 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Now, we can't do a recap on last week, for we went into a lot of Israel's history. But what we do find here is that Jeremiah is told to buy a field by the Lord in Anathoth. Anathoth means answers to prayer. Three miles outside the walls of Jerusalem. And as the Lord has told him to buy it, he's to put it in a, a, a vase or a vase, and he gets the scroll of it, and he puts it in the purchase scroll, and he buries it. Because the Lord has told him that Anathoth will be taken by the enemy. The enemy here is Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And last week we looked at Isaiah and many other scriptures, but high in Isaiah, around 120 years or so beforehand, the same scenario was happening again. Only it was Hezekiah was on the throne. And with Hezekiah on the throne, he was a good king in Judah the southern kingdom of Israel. Northern Israel were being taken captive as the enemy comes from the north toward the south. We looked at how the, uh, the enemy was getting closer and closer, but stopped outside the walls or outside around Anathoth. And it stopped there because Hezekiah took the letters of the enemy and spread them before God. God read the letter. Then not only did he spread the letters before him, he prayed unto God and he worshipped God. And not only did he do that, then after that he relied upon God. And we looked at that last week, how this uh, godly king, this godly king, through turning to the Lord, the Lord turned the enemy. He slew 185,000 Assyrians as they came from the north to the south. And because of this, we see another time it's happened again. The people didn't learn their lesson. The people didn't learn from past things. Here's what we must understand, brothers and sisters. Learning our lesson from past events that God has allowed to come upon us. It's no good going through situations and learning nothing from it. What we should learn from it is where God has been in it and how he has kept you and brought you through it. Because when the next situation comes there, the Lord builds you for that next situation. There are things when I first started to pastor that I used to get so annoyed and upset about. I mean, really annoyed, stressed out and upset about. There's so many things that I just didn't know how to deal with. But now, I've learned my lesson. From I was pastoring in Dublin from the early 2000s, 
through to my last pastorate for eight and a half years almost to here. I've learned so much, and every time I've come through a situation, I've learned, and I've learned well from it. I've learned those who say they're for you and they're against you. I've learned those who will be with you one moment and leave you the next. I've had people tell me that they would take a bullet for me, and then they don't come back to church. Well, I'm glad nobody's shooting at me the rest of the time. I've learned how to let people go. And I've learned how to encourage ones to stay. I've learned through times of grieving how God is with me even when I feel he isn't. I've learned how to believe that even when I feel that he still loves me. If we don't learn from past situations, then we will never conquer our present ones. I've learned how to be gracious to people who I may feel are not 100% right with God. Because you know why? Because I need grace every day myself. I'm imperfect before man, but perfected in Christ. I've learned how to show grace because I live in grace myself. And I've learned how to bear my teeth. There's a time for peace, Solomon says, and there's a time for war. I've learned it. I've learned how to go into the spiritual realm. I've learned how to take things from the spiritual realm and apply them to my life, to my family, to church life, to ministry. And I've learned also how to deal with the devil. Many of us don't learn and we create a monster from our past times. But listen, brother, listen, sister. This is one thing I learned long ago. You create a monster. If you create a monster, you're going to have to feed it. If you create a monster, you are going to have to feed it. I have learned how to not create as many monsters as possible in my life. Sometimes we create one, we don't realize it. I've learned how to starve it to death. We must learn from past experience or we learn nothing at all for future conquests in our walk with God. Learn from where you are at the moment. Learn from what God is doing with you. Learn where God is bringing you from. Learn where he is in it with you and apply it and remember it for future, for future battles. Here we have the enemy are coming and Judah, the southern kingdom, alone are left for the house of Israel, the northern kingdom are taken. And the enemy has coming down and now Judah did not learn from 
previous battles or conquests, but rather they walked in the ways of their northern kinsfolk, and they found that God had had enough and took them away. God had had enough and took them away. Sometimes we feel that God should do miracles in certain ways, and when he doesn't, we get disgruntled or disheartened or discouraged or disillusioned. And why? Because he didn't do it our way. But we must remember, he alone is God, and we are not. Notice here, Jeremiah is told, by a field, and we know that the Lord turned around the enemy before, but he's not going to do it this time. You know why? Not only did they not learn their lesson, but they didn't trust in the anointing. In Isaiah 10 last week, we looked at how the Lord says that the enemy, the yoke of the enemy, the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. It's the anointing that we, we need in the church today to destroy the enemy's yoke. It is the anointing that we need in church today to be able to break his grip over people. It's the anointing. And, and sadly, many people don't realize, one, everyone who is blood-washed has a measure of anointing. Every one of you. Every single one of you who have the Spirit within them has an anointing. What they don't realize is to keep, that is to keep the sense of God about us. We must seek his face and walk before him. So, we're told that Jeremiah buys a field and all seems lost. Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army takes them all away. Devastates the place. There's just remnants left around Jerusalem who have maybe escaped or who will pay tribute to him to let them stay. Most are taken away into Babylon. But beforehand, God said, I'll bring you back here. Whenever it seems, all is lost. The city is burned and down in rubble and ruins. When all seems, all is in ruins. In fact, when you go to the book of Nehemiah, you know what the enemy are saying as they try to rebuild the walls? Look at those walls. I'm paraphrasing. Even if a fox comes up and pushes them, the walls will fall. Who can build anything out of this rubble? That's the state of Jerusalem at this point in time. And even when it's in a state like that in your home, your life, your family, your walk with God, even when you feel, I can't go any further on here, even when you think all hope is lost and where is the chance of me? Brothers and sisters, here's the word of the Lord this morning. Get the word of the Lord for your situation. Get the word of God. Now, what do I mean? Name it, claim it, no. Blab it, grab it, as one preacher once said, no. Seek his face till he speaks. And no matter what happens, have faith in him. Seek his face until he speaks. It doesn't matter who comes against you. It doesn't matter what comes against you. It doesn't matter how far you feel you are away. 
It doesn't matter the ruins that you feel your life has been brought to. Seek the face of the Lord until the word of God comes to you. And stand on that word, have faith in God, and watch what he'll do in the mighty name of Jesus. Let's learn. Let's learn. We in CET especially, let's learn. We come from different backgrounds, walks of life. We've all problems. We've all of us have. Some are more manifest than others. Some are hidden better than others. But nevertheless, we all have. We've come from maybe different church backgrounds in the past. Let's learn and stay in unity and move forward saying, Lord, you have planted us here like a noble vine and there we will bear fruit that our roots go down deep this morning. Listen, faith is taking God at his word. Faith is believing in what he told us is true. Faith is trusting that he will perform that which he has promised, even though it looks like he won't. Listen to Martin Luther. Faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace. So sure and certain that a man could stake his life on it a thousand times. How am I going to get through God's grace? The grace of God. How am I going to cope? The grace of God. Stake your life on it a thousand times. And you'll find God will always be true to his word. Jeremiah 32 and verse 17. Jeremiah is praying. Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Yet my title is three things God cannot do. Jeremiah is praying in verse 17. Let your eye run down to verse 20. He says, Which has set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, even unto this day, and in Israel among their other men, and has made thee a name as at this day. What is he doing here? He's resting on the reputation of God. You see, brothers and sisters, many times we rest on our own reputation. We try to say, well, I'm better than him or her and my life's more sufficient than theirs. Or I can do better. I'm more holy or I'm more righteous or I'm more forthright. It's nothing to do with you and I. It's all to do with him. It's all his grace. It's his reputation on the line. When you pray for the sick, but what if they don't get healed? Well, sure, it's not your reputation. God can handle himself. God can look after himself. When you witness at work, but what if they make fun of me? Well, sure, it's not your reputation. We, our reputation doesn't count. Listen, we do not have an opinion on this. You say, well, I do have an opinion. No, we don't. 
It's his opinion. It's his word. It's the final authority in all manners of Christian conduct and living. It's what God says. Listen, it's what God says to the unsaved about entering the kingdom. He says, are you trusting in my son and his blood and his sacrifice one time, once for all, done at Calvary? Are you trusting in his finished work? Then that is what God says has to happen for you and I to enter the kingdom. It's the same for believers. If we don't trust his word, it's not what we think. It's not our, well, let's put our slant on it. It's what God's word says. It's what God says. Jeremiah rests in verse 20 in God's reputation. How do we know? Look what it says at the end of it. Among other men, and hast made thee a name as at this day. You know what he's saying here? He says, I remember the prophets, and I remember Moses writing and telling us about you bringing Israel out of Egypt. And I said it the other week, and I don't know if you got it or not, but bringing Israel out of Egypt wasn't the biggest miracle for God, even though there was ten plagues, as we call them. Getting Egypt out of Israel was the bigger miracle. <laughs> Getting Egypt out of Israel is the bigger miracle. Getting the world out of the Christian is the bigger miracle. It's causing us. Listen, we talk about, and listen, I fully understand, I'm not belittling this, please don't get me wrong. And there's people giving their lives for the faith at this present moment. But if God hasn't called you to give your life as in to death, then hear God's call to say, then live for me. Live for me. The word here, the name, he have given the name to others. The northern house of Israel are scattered at this time. Now this is the southern kingdom of Judah. And the others that he's given his name to, he says, they know. And he says, you're the same today, God, that brought our fathers out of Egypt. God is the same this morning. We hear of revivals. We talk about revivals. We read books on revivals. We pray for revival. You know where revival starts? In you. In you. You know what General Booth said? Hope I quote him right. The people were talking about a, a, a revival or a move of God, he says. I am a move of God. Every time God moves you, it's a move of God. Every time God moves in your spirit, it's a move of God. Every time God speaks to our hearts, it's a move of God. Every time God convicts us, of something we've said or done or treated our brother or sister wrong, that's a move of God. You are a move of God, brother. You are a move of God, sister. Every time you see the church reaching out in love and grace and mercy to the lost, the dying, the needy, you're a move of God. You know where revival starts? And you and me. One old preacher got a 
a chalk and he drew a, a circle and he stood inside and he says, Lord, start a revival inside this circle. Start a revival inside this circle. Here, it says in verse 20, and among other men, and hast made thee a name as at this day. Now, why I say he's leaning on God's reputation or resting on God's reputation, because the, the word name, the name is the Shem. That's the name, the name for name, Shem. It's the word for name, Shem. And it means reputation, and it means glory. It means reputation, and it means glory. It gives the idea of God's fame. For example, we have Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. After the flood, the three sons of Noah, and Shem was the line where the godly line would come from. The word Shem means reputation. God says, my name will come through this line, Shem. Reputation. It's where you get the name Shematic or Sematic from. Here's my reputation. And unfortunately and drastically, God's people let him down. When God says in Exodus 19, uh, 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 and he marries Israel, we'll talk about that maybe a little more tonight. But he gives them then the, the, the Ten Commandments later on at the mountain. And one of the commandments is, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And we think, well, someone says, uses the name of God or Jesus in, in a flippant way. Yes, and I understand that may, that does count as taking the Lord's name in a flippant way or in vain. <coughs> Kathy, bring the child in. Would you just be a bit distracting, dear? Thank you. When it speaks, the Lord says, Thou shalt not take the name. It's the reputation of God. When I and Alison got married, she became Davidson from McMullen. She took my name. And it's the same idea God says, When you take my name, live up to my name. Oh, church, how far have we fallen from being Christ once? Living up to his name. So the fame of God, the reputation of God, what they're saying is your name is your reputation, Lord. And so as we serve you, we're going in your reputation because it's your name, not mine. So Jeremiah prays in verse 17. He rests on God's reputation is in verse 20. And he reminds God, he re rehearses the word of God in verse 25. And thou hast said unto me, O Lord God, buy thee the field for money and take witnesses for the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans or the Chaldeans. And here is the enemy, the Chaldean army coming down. They're coming down to take Jerusalem. And he says, you buy the field. He buries it, and he says, 
buries the scrolls and he says, I'll bring you back. Trust me. Your life is a mess. Your life is a disaster. But my word says this to you. I have told you you're coming here. And no matter how long it takes, no matter what it looks like, no matter the impossibilities that face you, this is what he says. My reputation is at stake if I don't keep my word. So, listen to what he says in verse 27. Jehovah proclaims it to him. He says in verse 27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Notice in, in verse 17, Jeremiah is saying, Lord, you're, you're the great God of the universe. You've made all things. He sees his bigness. He's holding on to, Lord, if you're that big, surely you can do something here. But God doesn't stay aloof. He comes right into the situation and he says, I am the God, not away above you all here, but I am the God of all your flesh. You see him coming close? How near am I, Jeremiah? You're fearfully and wonderfully made by me. I know you better than you know yourself. Isn't that amazing? I know your situation better than you even think I do. I am the God of all flesh. And then he says, Is there anything too hard for me? So here we have the Lord saying, I'll bring you back. Timothy Crusoe, he was no Puritan. Listen to what he says. The being of God may as well fail as the promise of God. The being of God may as well fail as the promise of God. Promises, though they for a time are seemingly delayed, cannot be finally frustrated. The heart of God is not turned, though his face be hid. And prayers are not flung back, though they may not be instantly answered. You can't give up on God. Why? Because God has not given up on you. You cannot give up on God because God has not given up on you. So three things that God cannot do and time has already flown. You see, the angel that came to Mary, young virgin girl, the angel Gabriel in Luke chapter 1 and verse 37, he says that she would be with child and she knows not a man. She's asking him how it can be. He says, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. But yet there are Three things God cannot do. And it's not to put doubt in all that we have said that there are three things God cannot do because there are quite a number of things that God cannot do. Want me to tell you one of them? He cannot die. He's a self-existent God who liveth forever with who alone is immortality, saith the Scriptures. He cannot sin. He cannot fail you.
So three things that God cannot do, and I can't do them this morning, I'm sorry. Time has went. It'll take too long. It'll take you to be here too long. Well, they'll do one more week at that. Is that all right? I've more to tell you. Let's learn that our God, that with Him nothing is impossible. Mary, you're saying that you're a young virgin woman. And for God to give you a child, it's going to take a miracle. Well, guess what, Mary? He's a miracle-working God. He's a miracle-working God. And the same miracle-working God is the one who said to Jeremiah, by the field, in Anathoth, which means answers to prayer. It doesn't seem like you're answering our prayers, Lord, because the enemy's going to overrun us. Ah, he says, no, the enemy thinks he's overrunning you. But what you learn in this is going to be priceless, brother. Priceless, sister. One old Puritan says the devil is God's ape. The devil is not almighty. He is not omnipotent in power. He is not omniscient, all-knowing. He is not omnipresent. He's not. In fact, I'll tell you something he is. He's defeated. <laughs> He's defeated. Jesus said, it is finished, and the devil, his head was crushed on Calvary's tree when Christ hung and bled and died there. Let's go forward in the name of Jesus. Let's go forward in the name of the Lord. Let's keep holding on in his fame, his reputation, being unafraid, none to cause us to withdraw and hold back. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless us all this morning.